All right, thank you, Bishop Rob. It's an honor. Um, yeah, it's an honor to, to be here and to, to shepherd this church, and I think Grace and I counted a privilege. The weight of the responsibility is not lost on me either, and so I think I just ask for your faithful prayers and support. Um, I said this at the generational meetings. Um, I think it's fitting. I will at some point fail you as your pastor. I want you to know that. Um, and I would just ask that you would extend grace uh, for me when I do. Um, and I ask that you continue to faithfully pray, pray for me and my family um, as I pray for you guys um, too. But I'm, Grace and I are excited for this season and to see what God has to do uh, through, through each of you in building up the church. Uh, I asked Bishop Rob if it was okay if we finished off the book of Philemon today. I wasn't really sure how this went. And he said, that's fine. These are, as he said, these are your people. You, you know them well. So I think we're going to finish off Philemon today. So you can go ahead and start turning there in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in verses 17 through 25. It's going to be our last sermon series, or last uh, sermon in the book of Philemon. If you're looking for it, uh, it's right before Hebrews, towards the end of your Bible, right after Titus. Um, it's one page, it's just one chapter, so hopefully you can find it quickly. Um, if you're there, uh, would you be willing to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Verse 17 says this, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that all that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Marcus, to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Thank you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you love us so much, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, soften our hearts. I pray that we would receive Whatever you have for us this morning, you know us each so well, God. You know what we need to hear out of this sermon. So I pray that uh, we would receive what you have for us. I pray I would get out of the way, Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher this morning. Anything that's not of me would not stick, or not of you would not stick with people, God. And anything that's of me um, and not meant for folks would go one in, one in here and out the other. We pray that you would be the teacher this morning, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So... Uh, I don't know how many of you guys are excited about Thanksgiving this week, but I am. I, I love Thanksgiving. It is, uh, some would say, the best holiday uh, because we're, we're thankful. We get family together. It's spectacular food. Uh, I, I don't know. I know some people, we talked about this, jumped the gun a little bit and started for getting ready for Christmas, but there's grace and forgiveness for you. But we, we, need, to be, we need to celebrate Thanksgiving as a church and as, as, as people, it's, it's a good season for us. And I don't know about you guys, I don't know how you celebrate Thanksgiving, but uh, I'm particular about the, the way in which 
we eat our Thanksgiving food. Like for me, first of all, let me, let me just be clear, there's turkey in my house. I don't know about you guys, but, but turkey will be there. So when I start to talk about our Thanksgiving meal with grace, when I talk about what we're doing for, for dinner, it's not like, well, what are we going to have? That, that conversation doesn't happen. I assume that she knows we are having turkey uh, and it's, and it's going to be made a certain way. We're not having lobster or fish or steak or anything. It is Thanksgiving and therefore we will have a turkey. Right? And in that turkey, we will put stuffing inside of it. We'll throw it in the oven. We will bake it. There. We're not going to try to deep fry it. We're not going to get crazy on Thanksgiving. We're not, we're not going to smoke it. Okay, I, that's beyond my skill, to be honest. Anyways, th- I, when, when I tell her that we're having Thanksgiving meal, she knows. She, I, I just assume she knows what we're going to have. And, and this is because, because I love her. I know she loves me, and we've communicated over the years. And so now it's not a debate every year about, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to try? We just, I assume that she knows what we're having for, for Thanksgiving meal. And, 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 and I don't know about you guys, but for me, there's, there's certainly kind of a set of things. With family all over the world, in the United States, we're going to FaceTime or call people, right? I don't know if, if any of you have this experience, but we're going to call people, FaceTime, we'll be texting, and sometimes we'll get them, but sometimes we call it a bad time and, and there's no response. But when, when there's no response on Thanksgiving Day, I, I assume that it's, they're either in the middle of making the turkey or it's about to come out of the oven or maybe they just sat down for a meal. Um, but I assume that they're busy. I, I don't assume that they don't want to talk to me. I would just assume that, you know, it's just the timing is bad. And so as, as we head into Thanksgiving, I assume there's going to be a time where at my table we're going to sit down and be thankful for each other and express the things that we're thankful for. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, at least when it comes to Thanksgiving, because of our family traditions and because of years of, of, of communicating this with my wife, <clears throat> there's a lot of assumptions that take place for me. I don't know about you guys, but when, around the holidays, there's a lot of assumptions that take place. And I draw this to your attention because I want you to think about your meals. I think there's a lot of assumptions that you probably make with each other, and that's a good thing, okay? <clears throat> there are good assumptions that you make. You assume that the person understands. That you, there's this expectation that you have, and what you are doing is assuming the best in one another. All right, assuming the best. I assume because my wife loves me, she knows what my expectations are are for Thanksgiving. Because I love her, she assumes that I know what her expectations are. And I say this to you this morning because this last part of Philemon is about how the family of God, how the church assumes the best in each other. They assume the best in each other. Like a Thanksgiving meal where you assume all the thing, everything's going to go great and it's going to be wonderful to have family together and the meal's going to go great. Paul is assuming the best in Philemon. He's assuming the best. And so that's the one thing I want us to walk away with this morning. As followers of Jesus, as the church, we are called to assume the best in each other. Verse 17, I'm going to start off and walk us through quickly as uh, we're a little shorter on time today. But uh, Paul starts off, again, quick reminder, he is writing on behalf of Onesimus. If you haven't been following along, Onesimus, a runaway slave uh, who's now become a follower of Jesus, is going to be reconciled to Philemon, his former owner, and, and now believer, follower of Jesus. And so Paul is writing on behalf of Onesimus to, in hopes that reconciliation would happen. And as Brenton talked about last week, that their, their identities have shifted. They're no longer uh, slave and master, but they are brothers in Christ. And that's the call that, that Paul puts before uh, Philemon and before the church. And so he says this in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, if you consider me your partner, 
In other words, if, if you're co-laboring with me in, in the church and to see the kingdom of God go forward, if you're doing that, if that's how you see our relationship, if you consider essentially me as Paul, your, your brother, he says, treat him as you would treat me, essentially. He says, love him well, treat him, be hospitable to him, take him in as you would treat me. And, and, and just for a second, I want us to pause around here because this is incredibly applicable, I think. Church family, it, Paul's assumption to Philemon is if you are going to forgive Onesimus and he's going to be reconciled back to you, that you would begin to see him as your brother, that, that instead of seeing you know, him as this runaway slave, you would fundamentally see him differently as, as, as your brother. I mean, that's, that's a massive shift for Philemon, the former master, and Onesimus, the, the slave. And I want to put before you, it, it seems like for them, this massive shift, but it should be a very simple basic shift that each of us make as followers of Jesus, a simple call to see each other as brothers and sisters and to treat each other accordingly. I mean, think about that in, in your gospel communities, like for those of you that gather, that are able to gather right now, do you treat each other as, as family, as literally as brothers and, and sisters in Christ? In your Sunday school classes, are you treating each other as brothers and sisters in, in Christ? Think about this, you are about to go to your Thanksgiving meals, Right, And this, this is going to be an interesting Thanksgiving meal if, if your family has differing political ideas or uh, even just trying to f- uh, figure out how to do Thanksgiving uh, that everyone's comfortable with. Let me, let me put it that way, with, with COVID going on. How will you gather, right? This, this opportunity for you to gather with your family and to have a meal together has a potential to be pretty divisive in this season, right? I mean, if we're honest. My question is, how will you see your family and friends? Like, will you, will you see them not just as, as literally your brothers and sisters and mother, but like, will you see them as, if they are followers of Jesus, will you see them as sons and daughters of the King? Or maybe if they're not followers of Jesus, potential sons and daughters of the King. Think about your coworkers at your workplace. Like, all, all, everything that's being talked about, going to conversations back and forth and how, how you treat one another. Do you see people that, that not necessarily go to this church, but are part of the big church as a whole, do you see them as your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that, that's what Paul is calling Philemon to do here, is to see Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as, as a brother, and to treat him accordingly, to put away the socioeconomic status in society that the Roman, Roman, Rome has established, and to actually treat him as, as a brother. Guys, the call for us as a church is, is to treat each other as, as we would be treated, as we would treat our brothers and sisters, to love people well. And as a church family, that is our call, to love one another well. Going on in verse 18 through 20, Paul goes on to mention that there is a debt that needs to be paid. So we're, we're not exactly sure, but it seems like Onesimus maybe stole money from Philemon. And he's, he's run away with that money or um, that he's wronged him some way. Besides the fact that he's a runaway slave, according to Roman law, we've talked about that earlier in the series. But it seems like he additionally stole something from Philemon. And what Paul is saying is, look, whatever that debt is, I will pay it. If he owes you money, Count, put it, charge it to my account. I will repay you that debt that he owes. And what Paul is doing here, what we see is that he is actually living out the gospel. He is walking out the gospel, right? This is what we see Jesus does with us on the cross. He says, look, what, the sin that you've committed, the sin done against you, all, all, the sin of the world, I take it, I put it on my shoulder, I go to the cross, right? That Jesus pays the penalty, the debt for our sin 
on the cross. Like that's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid the penalty for it. And so what, what, I want, what I want us to understand and realize as a church is that as followers of Jesus, we're not downplaying the sin. We're not downplaying the, the penalty or the debt at all. Like we're not just saying, I, I know, but get over it, move along, just forgive them already, just get over it. No, no, no. We're saying that what's been done to you, the offense done to you is incredibly offensive. The weight of that sin put Jesus on the cross. The weight of my sin against others puts Jesus on the cross. Whatever is difficult for you to forgive, whatever you're holding against people and you think there's just no justice there, the reality of the gospel is that Jesus says, I take that debt and I carry it and I paid for it on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we can have justice, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Right? That, that, because of what Jesus does on the cross, we can do that. We don't want to downplay people's sin. If someone has wronged you in some way, and you just, like if it's, if it's another believer, or if someone's just wronged you in some way, and you just can't get over it, the, the question that, that I, I would put before you is don't, don't just downplay it, sweep it under the rug, and try to move on. This is the reality of the gospel. If we were to take that person that wronged you somehow, or and, and say, all right, well, what if, we, what if we just beat them into an inch of their life, we whipped them, we put a cross on their back and had them go up a, a hill and, and crucified them to a cross until they were dead? Would that, would that be enough? Like, would you feel justified then? Would that be enough to, to pay the debt that you feel is owed to you? Because that's essentially what Jesus is saying when he goes to the cross. He takes that sin that's done to you or the sin that you do to others and, he, and that's what puts him on the cross. He's not saying this isn't a big deal. He's saying it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a big enough for me to go to the cross for. And so, so church family, I want us to understand is that the good news of the gospel is that even though there's a debt that needs to be paid, Paul is walking that out, and he's saying, look, Jesus already paid this debt. And so essentially when Paul says this to Philemon, he's not throwing his weight around, he, he's, it's a test almost for Philemon. The question for Philemon is really, how much do you understand the gospel, Philemon? Because if someone who understands the gospel deeply says, man, I, you know, this, this runaway slave, you know, I probably... Having slaves conflicts with, my, with what I believe about Jesus and, and, and people and people being image bearers. And, and now I need to rethink how, how, I've, how I've treated people. And gosh, I've been forgiven of all my sin. How can I not forgive Onesimus? Like what Christ has forgiven me, am I really going to hold and comparable that debt against Onesimus? And so what Paul is doing here is saying like, do you realize how much you've been forgiven and that's, that's an understanding of the gospel. And if Philemon deeply understands how much he's forgiven, he's not going to hold debt against uh, Paul. He's not going to hold Onesimus' debt against Paul because he'd understand how much he'd been forgiven, how much Jesus has saved him from. All right? Guys, when we understand the gospel, when we understand how much we've been forgiven, it becomes really easy for us to forgive. When we recognize that Jesus already paid the penalty for that injustice, for that sin, it becomes much easier for us to see that there can be justice, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Verses 21 through 22, uh, Paul goes on here. He says, Confident in your obedience. I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. Confident in your obedience. I know that you're going to do even more than I'm asking of you, Philemon. And this is a fundamental uh, basic thing here that I, my prayer as a church is that, that we would understand deeply, right? What Paul is doing here is he is assuming the best in Philemon. 
He is assuming the absolute best in Philemon. Not only assuming that, that Philemon is going to walk out the gospel, but he, even more than that, he thinks Philemon is going to go farther. And what Paul is doing is saying, I'm assuming the best in you, Philemon. I'm not assuming the worst. I'm assuming the best. I'm not assuming you're not going to believe the gospel. I'm assuming that you do believe the gospel. You're going to go to great lengths to welcome Onesimus into your family. Not, he says, I, he's so confident in that. He says, I'm going to actually plan to come visit you, Right? And this is, this is such a simple thing, guys, but it's so profound that Paul would assume, start from this position of assuming the best. I cannot appeal to us as a church enough if we just committed to assuming the best in each other, if we committed to loving each other in this way where we assumed, we committed to always assuming the best in each other, seeing each other as brothers and sisters, assuming the best. When I call my brother or sister on Thanksgiving or my mother, if they don't answer, my first assumption is not, well, they hate me and they don't want to talk to me and I don't know what's really, like my assumption is they're busy, right? They're busy. Something else is going on. There's a kid screaming. There's a turkey coming out. I don't, I don't know, but my assumption is they're busy. Why? Because they're my brother or sister. I assume the best in them. If we see each other, that way as brothers and sisters and we assume the best in each other it will fundamentally change each other if we see each other as sons and daughters of of the king if we see each other as sons and daughters with with a good heavenly father i believe it change fundamentally changes the way that we treat each other not just did it change how philemon would see onesimus but it would change how we speak to each other how we treat each other Husbands, wives, think about this for a minute. How would you or would you change the way that you speak to your spouse if every time you're speaking to them, you realize that Jesus was there, if he was standing there in the room? Or like, what if, what if you just saw your, your, your husband or your, your wife or your friends, your, you know, coworkers or whatever, what, what if you saw them literally as children of, of, of God? You recognize that like, if, if their heavenly father was there, like, how would you speak to them differently? Would you say the same things to them? Would your tone change? Would the level of volume change? Would you speak to them the same way? Just think about that. I mean, just for me, it was super convicting to think about how would I, I speak to people? If I see people there as like Jesus in the room or, or them as like a son or daughter, does that fundamentally change how I speak to people? It's a challenge for us to think about, but if, I, I believe that if we begin to assume the best and see each other as true brothers and sisters in Christ, it will fundamentally change how we interact, how we love one another. What if we assume the best in each other? And what if I assumed that when someone says something that hurts my feelings, that their intent was not to actually hurt my feelings? My assumption was rather that I misunderstood them. Somehow, what if, what if I started from there? What if I started from, man, I assume the best, I know this person loves me, so I'm assuming that they did not mean to hurt my feelings, that it wasn't meant to be a slight. I just assume the best in them. What if, what if I assumed that you had really, really good convictions for your political decisions? What if I assumed you had, you had really good convictions for your for your, democratic, for, for, for your democratic convictions, or really good, uh, if I assumed you had really good reasons and convictions for your Republican decisions or your independent decisions. Like, what if, what if we just started from that place of assuming, what if I assumed when I, when I talked to you or, or interacted with you when it comes to COVID that you had really good educated reasons 
for making your decision? What if I started from that point of assumption? Think about how much that would change, especially in this season when I think so many people are so misunderstood. What if we started from a place of assuming the best in each other instead of the worst? I think, church, if we're honest, we're honest with each other, a lot of the brokenness that we've made, that we may made or that we, that we feel, is because we haven't assumed the best in others. We've assumed the worst. Way too often we assumed the worst. And because we haven't seen people the way that, that Jesus sees them, we tend to assume the worst and, instead of the best. Listen, my heart this morning is not, and by no means, to condemn. I'm preaching myself here just as much as anyone else. As I prepared this, I was very convicted. As a church family, though, I want to commit to, to treating each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, like literally seeing each other as sons and daughters of the King, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I would ask, I would appeal to us to assume the best out of each other. Here, here's the reality. In, in, in relational conflict, I'm not talking about abuse here, but in, in relational conflict, the person that you need to forgive or the person that you need to ask forgiveness from, they, they're probably not a monster, okay? And I think this is what happens a lot of times. We, we take on some kind of offense or something says someone to us and we take it the wrong way and we start to play off this conversation in, in our heads. And I think spout, you know, husbands, wives do this all the time or, or coworkers or whatever. We start to have these conversations in our heads like, oh, well, I would say this to them now and then they would say this back to me and I would say this back to them and we play out this whole thing in our head. It's kind of crazy. And then the, the reality is we get all emotional or we build up all these false assumptions about the person instead of assuming the best. And it's not fair because in those conversations in our head, we always win, right? And the other person's not really there. And so what if we just, we said no to that? We recognize that, man, the enemy feeds off of that kind of thing and instead we just assumed the best in each other. The person that, that you need to ask for forgiveness from or the person you need to forgive, they're, they're not a monster. They're just, they're a sinner saved by grace, just like you, just like me, right? I think we build it up too much in our heads and it, it starts because we don't assume the best in the other person. As a brother or sister in Christ, if, if we see them that way and assume the best in them, what I want us to understand, though, too, is if, if there is sin, we're not downplaying that as a church. We're not negating that or saying it, it's not serious. We're saying it's very serious. It was serious enough that Jesus had to go to the cross for it. Jesus says, like Paul here, he says, charge it to my account. I will pay the penalty for sin at the cross. Whatever wrong you have done, or whatever wrong has been done to you, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid the price for it. Because of what Christ does on the cross, there can be justice. That's the beauty of the gospel, that there can be justice. There will one day be justice, is that we don't just pass, we don't just forget the sin. It, no, Jesus paid the price for it on the cross. And because he pays the price for it, there can be true forgiveness and true reconciliation. That's the good news of the gospel. And we need to see that lived out here. This is just a beautiful thing that, that a runaway slave would come back to his master, both having become followers of Jesus, and they would walk in reconciliation. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel lived out. Not only that, but it's a beautiful picture of the church as a whole, loving one another, assuming the best. Paul assumes the best in Philemon. He, they all build up the church together. 
And when Onesimus and Philemon come together reconciled, it's a beautiful picture for the church. It says this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Not like Rome, not like any of the other ruling powers. This is what the kingdom of God looks like where, where the slave and the master become brothers in Christ. Where the spiritual leader doesn't command authority, but he appeals to him on the basis of the gospel. That's, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Listen, folks, when Jesus goes to the cross for our sin and the sin that's been done against us, when he pays the penalty for that, he asks us to remember him in a specific way. A specific way. We refer to that as communion or the Lord's Supper. And so today, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together as a church, and it's going to be a little bit different because of COVID. But I would ask that you would, as we close out Philemon, I would ask that you would take communion with me with this in mind. We're going to remember that Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, sin that we commit, sin done against us. And as we take communion, we would recognize that we are part of a bigger family. We're part of the, the church. We're part of the kingdom of God because of what Christ has done for us. And as part of the kingdom of God, as the church, we are going to choose to assume the best in one another. We're going to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to forget ethnic backgrounds, race, socioeconomic status, all, all of that. We're going to put all of that aside, Republican, Democrat, we're going to put all that aside and, and say in the, in the kingdom of God, at the foot of the cross, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what unifies us. That is the one thing that matters more than all other things. So as we take communion, I would ask that you would put your yes on the table this week by saying, I'm committed to seeing my brothers and seeing people in our church here at Mission Hill and as a larger church as you head to Thanksgiving and to the workplace this week, you'd commit to seeing people as brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the King. And as you see them that way, that you would assume the best in them. That you would assume the best in them, church. My heart would be that we would begin to try to see people as Jesus sees them. So in your pews, there should be a, uh, a little communion package. See if you can find it. I know this is different for us. Thank you. With all the COVID, with everything going on with COVID, this is, there should be one of these in the pew in front of you, all right? So these were safely put, um, ster- you know, sterilized and all that. So in this little cup, there's a little, uh, there's a wafer on the top peel and then you peel it again. Um, if you're watching online, I'd go run and grab some grape juice and bread if you want. Um, but we're going to take this together, all right? So I'm, I'm going to peel off my per- first part and get my bread, my wafer here. Um, and then if you want, you can peel your, your second piece back. And as we do this, I want, I want to read from Mark chapter 14 this morning for us, starting in verse 22. It says this, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take this, is my body, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So, church family, we, we, this bread represents Christ's body broken for us. If you believe that this represents Christ's body broken for us, will you take it with me this morning? And church family, this grape juice represents Christ's blood poured out for us. So if you believe that this is Christ's blood poured out for us, this represents Christ's blood poured out for us this morning, would you take this in remembrance? Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. God, we recognize the, the depth of our sin. The weight of it is not lost on us, Jesus. And yet the good news of the gospel is that you took that debt and you paid it for us. That your body was broken for us, that your blood was poured out for us so that we can have justice, there can be reconciliation and forgiveness, God. And in this season, God, when so many of our worlds feel like it's been turned upside down, we cry out to you, Jesus, and and say we cling to you. We cling to the hope that is in the gospel. We recognize we've offended others. We've sinned against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we recognize at times that they have sinned against us. But the beauty of the gospel is that you call us to unity. call us to forgive and be reconciled. And we can do that because of what you did on the cross. Jesus, help us to see each other as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the King. Help us to love each other as you loved your disciples so well. Even in the midst of their betrayal, their doubting, Jesus, you still love them. You saw in them leaders would, through the power of your spirit, turn the world upside down. So I pray, Jesus, that we would assume the best in each other, that we would see each other as image bearers of you, that we would see each other as brothers and sisters, that we would speak to each other as if you were in the room, that we would build up your church. Help us to be a shining light of love and unity in this season. Father, my heart breaks for the church right now. I feel like we, as a big church, have failed in so many ways in this season. By the power of your spirit, help us to do better. Help us to lead in love and unity. Let us be known by our love for one another in this season. Jesus and